After nearly 300 years, the name Casanova still conjures up images of a legendary romantic, or maybe just an unbridled libertine. Historian Lawrence Burgreen has delved into Casanova's extensive autobiography to see what his uncommon life shows us about the world of 18th century Venice. He's just written Casanova, The Life of a Seductive Genius. Lawrence, thanks for being with us. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. What an incredible individual. I mean, of all the people who who give us a peek into what was going on into the 1700s in Europe, and at least in Venice, there's nobody like him, is there? No, there really isn't. Um, He was part of his times, but because he wrote this extraordinary 12-volume memoir, you have a giant, it's almost like a novel, canvas of life of commoners and kings and loves and duels. And they give a very, very complete picture, not only of his life, but of many people around him. It's a tremendous crowd portrait. And he was living in the, the like, the most amazing world anyways, Venice. Yes. Uh, it was, I mean, Venice was the superpower of Europe for, for centuries, but in the 1700s, it was a decadent, yes. you know, fabulously wealthy city, but clearly on the decline, right? Yes, it was uh, deteriorating rather quickly. It had become a center for vice across Europe. Tourists came, especially from England, to Venice to gamble and to associate with the courtesans there and in various brothels. It was notorious. It was sort of like the Las Vegas of Europe in a certain way. So Casanova came of age in that environment. In fact, his own mother, who was a famous actress and courtesan, Zanetta Ferrucci, was part of that environment and epitomized it. So she was a Casanova before him and had many lovers, traveled across Europe, performed widely, and was quite notorious. This 12-volume story of my life, uh, his memoirs, tell us about that. Was he aware of uh, the historical value of this, or was he just showing off his sexual exploits? or what, what, How does it read? <laughs> All of the above. Uh, during his lifetime, he was considered a scapegrace. He was a gambler. He was a duelist. He was a ne'er-do-well, a petty thief. Um, he had literary aspirations that were really never fulfilled. At one point, he met Voltaire when he got to Geneva and thought of themselves as being on an equal plane, but Voltaire was a enormously influential Enlightenment figure, and Casanova, from a literary point of view, was uh, not even a, hmm. a wannabe. However, during the last 12 years of his life, he became a librarian. He loved libraries outside of Prague at a giant castle called Ducks and spent 12 years writing about all his exploits, drawing on diaries and journals that he had Hmm. collected over the years. Lawrence, could you say for the last 12 years of his life, he was no longer young and sexy enough to be the the Casanova (laughs) he wanted to be, so he would just wallow in his memories and and, and write about it? Right. The last 12 years of his life, Casanova keenly felt the approach of old age. He was in his mid-50s and then his 60s, and he had lost his uh, sense of virility. He suffered from repeated cases of venereal disease, which was an occupational hazard of being a libertine. He loved books, and since he was down on his luck, he accepted a sinecure as a librarian for a nobleman at a giant castle outside of Prague. And there, in relative seclusion, he was down to his last two or three girlfriends, he wrote these memoirs over and over and over every day and never actually got to the end of his life, but covered Hmm most of his life, and they're the famous memoirs. I actually began this book when I heard that the Bibliothèque Nationale in Paris had acquired the original manuscript, which he wrote in French, for 10 million euros, which was the most they'd Mm. ever paid for anybody's manuscripts. And I was curious Mm. to see what was so terrific. And I 
hopped a plane and went there to the uh, bibliothèque and uh, held the manuscript in his own handwriting in my hand. And I realized that it was an extraordinary document of personal experience. It was also completely unexpurgated. Since he didn't expect it to be published in his lifetime, and in fact it wasn't, hmm. um, he told all. It is the ultimate tell-all. So any kind of gossip, scandal, horrible things or embarrassing things about himself or other people, they're all in there. And uh, it, it really is a remarkable portrait. But how credible is it? I mean, if you're writing your own story and if you have the personality of Casanova, you're going to make yourself right. even more Casanova <laughs> than Casanova himself, Right, you? right. Uh, you're right. He was very narcissistic, and that's a very good question. I kept asking myself, how much of this is made up and invented, fabricated? <laughs> However, almost everything checks out. For example, many of the women he was involved in wrote letters to him. So oh, okay. you hear their side of the story as well. I read your the chapter on uh, his escape from the prison in Venice, and it's yeah, just like yeah. a it's like a thriller. It could be the script of a, of a great movie. When he escaped, he was the only person ever to have escaped from the Leads, which was in the roof of the Doge's Palace in Venice, and it it is like a thriller. Is this the prison across the Bridge of Sighs from the Doge's no. Palace? No, people often think it is. Mm -hmm. This was an even worse prison, which was on the in the top floor of the palace itself, and it was considered a a death trap. People in there froze in the winter. They roasted in the summer. He was determined to get out, and he spent almost a year planning an escape. Mm -hmm. And he finally did with the assistance of a defrocked priest who was in the next cell. And they escaped one night and let themselves down by a rope mm -hmm. and got into a waiting gondola and got the heck out of Venice. Mm -hmm. This was actually his best-known exploit in mm -hmm. his lifetime, and it forms part of this giant 12-volume memoir canvas. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Lawrence Berggreen, and his book is Casanova, The World of a Seductive Genius. He got in trouble for reading forbidden books. Uh, what's the context of that in the 1700s? Uh, we don't really know exactly because he never saw the charges. There was no trial. He didn't know why exactly he was jailed. But the thought was that agents of the Venetian Inquisition were prying in his apartment in Venice and saw that he had books of the Kabbalah, which at that point were forbidden, although they were quite popular. It was originally a, a Jewish mystical book, which at that point was in vogue and becoming Christianized, adapted for Christian mysticism. There was a, a character who I quote in the book named Manuzzi, who wrote reports about Casanova and the books he was supposedly reading, which included mm. the Kabbalah, and that was enough to get him in hot water. Now, another theory has that he slept with the wrong woman, who was allied with some powerful enemy. Oh, so that would be a good way to get rid of him, is blame him for reading reading the wrong books, even though it's a, yes. it's a lover's squabble. Lawrence, you talk about he's a dualist and he's a libertine. What is a dualist and what's a libertine in the <laughs> 1700s? Well, a dualist, uh, dueling was very popular in the 1700s in the 18th century, either with swords or with pistols, and people could be drawn into duels for the slightest disagreement especially with nobility. And he was, at one point uh, in his travels when he was in Germany, drawn into a duel with the Count Brniki, who was Polish. Does somebody come out of that dead, or do you just shoot each other until... Um, I mean, I've heard that the, the guns were so crude that you would stand sideways and you'd suck your belly in and you'd just take turns trying to hit each other until one of you finally lucked out. Well, he, he didn't know which kind of weapon it would be because the Count could choose either a sword Mm -hmm. uh, which Casanova would have preferred, or a gun. As it happened, it was a gun. So Casanova writes a really 
heart-stopping account of the agony, the tension surrounding this duel. And in fact, he was got off easy in a sense. Uh, Count Bernicke was unharmed. Casanova took a bullet in his arm, which he gradually recovered from. Mm -hmm. So he managed to survive it. And then oddly enough, in this very European way, these two people who were very different and enemies then became friends of a sort. <laughs> so a libertine is another concept of the 18th century. It had to do partly with the concept of liberty and reason and freedom, which in this country, in the United States, was primarily uh, the rule of law and reason, but in Europe also meant very explicitly sexual freedom, which applied in Venice and then in Casanova's second home in Paris and across Europe. So a libertine was someone who didn't get married, who was usually promiscuous and really not judgmental about moralistic matters. Casanova was not the only one. Mm -hmm. uh, libertinism was a very popular philosophy. The uh, subtitle of your book, Casanova, The World of a Seductive Genius, this guy, he's got a hundred or something partners. Right. What was his uh, modus operandi? How, how can you be so intriguing and appealing to women? Because you also talk about he was the arch-typical bad boyfriend. Yes, <laughs> he really was because he cheated on a lot of these women. You know, in his relentlessly honest way, he also described his many, many failures uh, with women, women whom he pursued and didn't manage to catch, and his shortcomings, women who spurned him. But his success, he said that he didn't conquer, he submitted. I, I think there's some truth to that. But when he decided he was going to court a woman or seduce a woman, he focused on her with great attention. He had a tremendous sense of empathy. And keep in mind, this was the age of libertines, so women were as willing to go along with it as he was. Um, he would find a private place. He would have chilled champagne. He would have oysters, which he considered an aphrodisiac and a lot of privacy. So he would set the scene very carefully for a seduction with women. And if he couldn't find a woman who we would consider to be particularly desirable, he also consorted with prostitutes and various lowlifes who could be had for a modest amount of money. Mm -hmm. uh, Casanova was nothing if not randy. He came to regret this and become somewhat more melancholic and mournful in his later years when he was writing his memoirs. But certainly when he was younger, he was very unrestrained. Would he flatter women and just, just give them so much attention and then he was just focused on one one victim or one prize or something like this? Yes, he would flatter them. He would give them gifts. He would write them letters. Uh, he would write them poetry. He would do it, whatever he thought it took huh. to, you know, to get them into bed. And he was very attuned to giving as well as receiving pleasure. He didn't see sex as a one-way street, and he saw it as interactive. I think women particularly appreciated that, and he writes about some of his sexual interests and techniques in his memoirs that gives you a sense of what he was like as a lover. This also helped to overcome the fact Casanova wasn't that handsome particularly. Uh, he looked rather awkward. He was rather tall, ungainly, uh, with a large beak-like nose. Men found him strange. But women often found him very charming and compelling, despite his odd appearance. And some of them really fell in love with Casanova. There were several women from good families who realized that Casanova had many redeeming qualities and wanted to marry him. And each time he avoided the snares of matrimony. I think in his later years he regretted it. Mm -hmm. But at the time, he didn't want any part of it. So he would stay with them for a while and then he would move on either to a better situation or a worse one. 
This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Lawrence Berggreen about his book, Casanova, The World of a Seductive Genius. You write about how he, he had a lot of um, sexually transmitted diseases, apparently a whole bunch of them over the course of his lifetime. And you also mentioned there were condoms in the 1700s. Uh, yeah. Did these work or were people aware of the diseases and, and how effectively could they avoid them? Venereal disease in various forms was quite common because of the promiscuity, and people were certainly aware of it because of uh, obvious symptoms of it. When Casanova was coming into maturity, condoms made of sheep intestines were becoming popular. They were generally manufactured in England and then sold across Europe. The, the technology didn't necessarily work that well. Casanova was what we'd call today an early adopter, and he wrote with pride about using them partly to prevent pregnancy and partly to prevent the transmission of disease. But, you know, it was very erratic in its use. And Casanova had, by his count, 11 cases of venereal disease, probably gonorrhea. His idea of a cure, which was a common one at that time, was mercury treatments. But that was just poisoning himself. So Hmm. it would spontaneously go into remission. And then he considered himself cured, even though he wasn't. And then it would emerge again at some other time in the future. But it wasn't really a total deterrent, and it seemed to be just part of sexual behavior at that period. It sounds like he was addicted to sex. Did he have any long-term meaningful relationships, and is there any uh, sense of how many children he spawned and if he would just drop a woman once she becomes pregnant? He said he had eight children, and he may have had about eight. His relationships with them was arm's length at best. Uh, He was very proud of having these children, but he didn't raise them. He wasn't nurturing. He didn't take care of them or pay for their education Mm. or well-being or anything like that. He left them with their mothers. And in terms of the women and how they felt about it, I I think they took it as it it came. So they were libertine uh, also. They were also libertine, and they had many lovers as well. We know this from diaries of other people. Casanova wasn't the only, if you will, Casanova on the loose in those days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we heard about the exploits of other libertines in Venice and uh, really across Europe and in England, nor was he perhaps even the most successful. There were some others who were higher on the social scale. Casanova was lowborn who Mm -hmm. had more lovers, especially royalty. When he got to the court of France, King Louis XV had a wife and number of children, but he also had an official mistress who organized all his other mistresses for the benefit of the king, who basically spent most of his days in bed with one mistress or another. What do you think his take would be on Tinder today? Would he have been a big uh, fan of uh, being able to just um, dial through the Internet and find a good partner? I've actually thought about that, and my publishers asked me about that. It's hard to say because he was also a very private person, and the sort of semi-public yet anonymous nature of online dating and Tinder, I think he might have found off-putting. And he also might have said, well, everybody's a libertine now. What what difference does it make? So he might have felt like he was just one more, you know, of the anonymous masses. You wrote that he, he used sex as a weapon of class destruction, which I thought was very interesting. Sex as a weapon of class destruction. What did he mean? Right. Well, I mean, that was a sort of play on the phrase of uh, mass destruction. What I meant was that he particularly wanted to go to bed with women who were highborn. He was, as as the son of two actors in Venice, he was almost a nobody and uh, had no path to fame or fortune. So he was attracted to women. The higher on the social scale, the better. Perhaps the best known example, and he writes about at great length, it's in the book, is Madame Durfey 
who was one of the richest women in Paris. She was a widow. She was perhaps uh, 60 years old, and she was uh, very devoted to alchemy. And he writes about how he shamelessly exploited her and her interest in alchemy for personal gain. Meanwhile, she thought that he was actually in love with her, and in order to encourage this illusion of hers, he promised that he could get her pregnant, which seems unlikely with a woman of that age, and not only that, that she would become pregnant with a replica of herself. So this child would be born and would become an exact replica of Madame Durfey, and she was naive enough to believe this. So this was as an example of Casanova's guile, mm -hmm. uh, which was really not very pleasant to observe. So there was a charming side to him, but another side that was, uh, you know, very off-putting. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Lawrence Burgreen. His book is called Casanova, The World of a Seductive Genius. And Lawrence, if we could just finish with, you know, a lot of us are dreaming about going to Venice. Yes. After reading your book and then we go to Venice, uh, what is some experience in Venice we might know to have and to appreciate that we wouldn't know otherwise if we didn't read your book? Everybody goes to the Doge's Palace. If you're particularly interested in Casanova, you can see the leads, which they call Ipiombi, and you can stand in Casanova's cell, which is a huge, dark closet, which immediately induces claustrophobia. So you can see where he you know, was confined and where he suffered. Uh, you can see some evidence of, of the Rodato, which was the gambling area of Venice where Casanova would go to gamble all the time. And you can basically see all the streets and all the sites and all the canals that he writes about. Also, uh, some of the islands. He writes about his um, affairs with nuns, which we haven't talked about, who were in convents on various of the islands of Venice in the lagoon. And, you know, they're a very, very short trip hmm. from St. Mark's Square. Lawrence Burgreen, thanks so much for joining us. And thanks for writing a fascinating book, Casanova, The World of a Seductive Genius. My pleasure. Thank you, Rick. Rick Steves teaches smart European travel. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Europe's top sites, and a world of information to help turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.